Might as well take a cut. Who cares? Uh, yeah, welcome to Super Duper Stitious, the podcast about the science behind spooky stuff. I'm Jake Wyatt, the co-host, still missing in action. Last I heard, now if you're a first-time listener, this is a show where we try and talk about spooky stuff and examine it from a kind of scientific perspective whenever we can. Uh, and I'm usually joined by uh, a bearded man named Wyatt who really helps keep things going. He vanished last episode, and uh, it's all part of this arcane computer thing we have, which you'll learn about more later. Last text message I got from him said that he had such sights to show me, so I think he's got his own thing going on. I'm going to leave that alone for now. Hopefully, he'll be back next episode. In the meantime, I am joined instead by, you might know her best as Dr. Oz, Emma Ozenbrook, Real Life Ghost Stories, say hello. Hello there. I want to say that I'm terribly sorry for the trauma you are currently going through. I cannot believe why it is missing. However, I would like to say I told you, I warned you of the dangers of the panda function numerous times. I warned you and you still refuse to listen. We got to thank the patrons. We appreciate what they do. And this, as far as we know, is the only way to do that. So... We will. And I'm going to need your help doing that later, too. And you'll see why. Once you get started, you can't stop. If I disappear, if anything happens to me because of one of your stupid machines, I, I, I will come back and haunt you. I don't care whether you believe or not, Jake. I am I am coming back and I'm haunting the shit out of you. That is this is your warning. Everybody's heard it. This is the warning. You've got yourself a deal. So most, if not all of our listeners are probably only listeners because you heard us on Real Life Ghost Stories. But if you didn't, uh, what is Real Life Ghost Stories, Emma? Real Life Ghost Stories is a podcast where I tell spooky stories three times a week. So on a Sunday, I do a deep dive into a famous historical haunting. And twice a week, I do listeners' wonderful ghost stories. And that's uh, that's that's what I do. It's very exciting. So if you are more into the uh, spooky than the science of the spooky, <laughs> then I am the place to visit. And if you do like the science part two, we are on at least one episode and we go out of our way to try and ruin that episode. I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, that actually, I have to say, like on a very serious note, that episode, I was genuinely in pain from trying not to laugh and trying <laughs> to maintain my composure while reading the story. And we did a, 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 a subsequent episode on your podcast where I could let loose. And I, you know, you get the giggles where it's like it consumes your entire being. <laughs> And I had tears streaming down my face. And honestly, it was so much fun. And we do need to do it again. Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. You're already here now. So, yeah, that's already happening. But again, sometime in the future would be great as well. I'm a bit annoyed that I'm only here because Wyatt is missing. Like, I know it's sad that he's missing. But like, let's make this about me for a second. I am only here because he is missing. And that's upsetting for me. Okay. Now, you would have. I want to clarify. You would have been here regardless because this is August. Say it with me. Around, around the, the world. world. And uh, today we are in Ireland. And uh, so I needed to, we didn't just need you to fill in for why. You would have been here if why were here too, because we need to typecast you as our Ireland expert. Uh, I am an expert. I lived in Ireland for 21 years of my life. Wow. Um, so, you know, I'm about as expert as you can get. Excellent. You know, and in your extensive search for Wyatt, which I feel like hasn't been very extensive, okay? I think you've just sort of accepted the fact that he's missing and I don't feel like you're doing very much about it. I'm pretty sure he's going to come back at some point, so it's fine. But I decided to try and go and look for him. Well, I appreciate that. What I found instead was not Wyatt, but I did find some wonderful stories for you. Oh, exciting. From the wonderful world of Ireland. 
but no Wyatt. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, well, better luck next time. In the meantime, would you care to describe where we are right now? And feel free to use uh, as much complicated imagery as possible to make a soundscape that's hard for me to put together in post. So imagine you are quite literally standing on the edge of the world. You're on the edge of the world. You close your eyes and all you can hear is the sea. You can hear some seabirds. Every so often you hear a car go by, but you, you know, you just ignore that because you're trying to pretend you're in this wonderful landscape. Because we are on the southwest coast of Ireland. And if you imagine the most ruggedly beautiful wild landscape you can imagine, then you're not even close. It is a really particular type of green. And not only that, it's full of ruins. Because for years and years and years, people lived in these little stone squat cottages. Squattages, and if you will. And as time went on, they realized that actually it wasn't viable to stay living in such rural surroundings. So lots of people left. And what you have left is this beautiful landscape that's so full of life, but also a little bit desolate. I can tell you right now, I'm seeing exactly what she's describing because I'm also physically here, as we've established, in August around the world. Uh, Emma, this is episode 166. It's an even-numbered episode. Normally, I go first in an even-numbered episode, but you are our guest host. I would like to give you the choice. Would you like to go first or second today? Oh, I'd quite like to go first, I think. Great, go for it. And I feel like I need to give you a little bit of a break because you've traveled so far to be here. Um, And it probably is a bit of a culture shock to be in the very southwest of Ireland. It is a little bit different from uh, Minnesota. Slightly. Not as much dairy everywhere, but otherwise almost identical. Oh, yeah. Almost, almost identical. That is true. I'm pretty sure, actually, when most people left the southwest of Ireland that they settled in Minnesota, that's that's where they that's where they went to. And hence why it feels like a home away from home for you. (laughs) Yes. And the accents sound the same. Uh, yes, yeah, the same, if not at least very similar, I would argue the same. Yes. Just to, just for a little bit of context for your listeners, the southwest of Ireland is one of the places in Ireland that is what's called a Gaeltacht region. So they do sp- still speak Irish. Um, like they don't, English, they don't speak English in communication with each other or in public communication. Uh, they generally just, just speak in Irish. If you are speaking to the locals, they generally will speak in Irish first and they will try and assess, oh... Okay, you're not you're not going to speak back to me in Irish, so I'm going to have to speak in English. Mm-hmm. And it means that when you're in rural Ireland, it can be a little bit disconcerting for people if you're if if you're not from the area. And one of the most beautiful things about where we are, which is specifically Dingle, I know I've told you this already, and you can see the signs as we stroll around the lovely town of Dingle. And off the coast of Dingle, there is a little archipelago that is incredibly important because it is not only a beautiful set of islands, but it was inhabited by about 200 people until about the 1950s. And from that little archipelago comes one of the most important stories in terms of Irish traditional music Mm -hmm. that is still played and still revered as one of the most important Irish traditional music songs in the southwest of Ireland to this day. And obviously, it is a paranormal story. Excellent. But in order to tell you that story, I need to give you a little bit of information about the island. Uh, The island that we are talking about is the Blasket Islands, and it is the big island that we are currently standing on. And in order to get to the big island, 
it is was so isolated that you can't even get a boat directly to the island. So you have to get a catamaran out to the island and then get a small dinghy to bring you to the shore. There is a really steep incline up to the island and then you are met with a small village of stone ruins where people lived, like I said, until around the 1950s. And it had at its peak a population of about 200 people. Now, these people lived in almost complete isolation from the rest of the world. They believed that the island was the world and Mm. everything else outside of it was outsiders, that their world was the island. And they were really proud of that. And interestingly, in modern times and at the time, people who lived on the mainland were really proud of having the islanders as Irish people because it was believed that the islanders were really hardy and tough people to be able to live in those conditions. And in those conditions, it was not good. Like it was, the weather was horrendous. That particular area of the sea is notoriously dangerous to sail on. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had uh, a Spanish armada like washed up on shore and they just took everything it was great they took all the timber all of everything that was on board and they lived in this in this really strange little world where it was just those 200 people they only spoke in Irish which was the most purest form of Irish that people had ever heard and eventually due to colonisation people tried to and I say this in inverted commas, they tried to civilise the savages of the island Mm. and it resulted in the people being able to speak Irish, but they couldn't read or write in Irish, but they could read and write in English because the English came over and tried to teach them English. So it was a very odd little mix and the Blasket Islands ended up being the place in the world where there is the most authors in the world based on the population of the people, Hmm. the most published authors, because I don't know how many authors, published authors there were, maybe I think there was like four or five, maybe really famous published authors who wrote books about what life was like on the island. And they had this really strange way of living where they didn't have, they didn't have law. They didn't have the police. They didn't have the church. They didn't have priests. They just had them. And everything was sorted between them. Everything was spoken about in what they called the Dole. So the Dole is the name for the Irish government. They had a building that they went to, they had meetings and they sorted disputes out on the island. And as a result of that, you had people that would come onto the island and preach a bit of Christianity, preach a bit of Catholicism and then go. But they they lived with this really even stranger than mainland Ireland mix of paganism, of weird sort of spiritualism and then Catholicism. And a lot of their life was dictated by these paranormal superstitious beliefs. Um, Fairy lore was incredibly important on the island. When a baby would be born, uh, they would soak the baby in urine for, I think it was like nine days because they strongly believed that the fairies were terrified of mess, Hmm. of anything dirty. The fairies wouldn't take it. And the women of the island would all come together and they'd have a vigil around the baby for nine days to make sure the baby wasn't swapped when they weren't looking. And that was a really important part of their culture. And there's great um, stories about when people would come to the island. There was one particular story where she spoke about the women as these like almost bird-like creatures where they would come and they'd sort of get onto their haunches 
and they chewed tobacco and they spoke obviously this really pure form of Irish. And then obviously later on, people who spoke the language came to the island and realised, okay, they're not savages. (laughs) They just live in a different way than people on the mainland and, and in a different way than people in the UK. And they also obviously, which is, you know, in modern times, it sounds horrific, but they also really believed in changelings. And if they believed that a child was a changeling, they would leave that child to die. And that was and that was how life on the island was. It was incredibly important to them that everybody who lived on the island was capable of contributing and was able to survive. It's a lose-lose. Either you are a changeling and they abandon you, or before they think you're a changeling, you just get peed all over. Just peed on, and everybody sat watching you for mm. a long period of time. Uh, interestingly, in the books about the island, so there's a really famous book written by a woman who lives on the island called Peg Sayers. And she starts the book by saying, I have one foot on the island and one foot on the grave. And if I'd known what life would, was going to be like on the island, I would have killed myself rather than come here. Jesus. And so she went to the island as an adult. She married onto the island. And mm. it was, I mean, life was so hard. But there's also a book called Fihablinic Foss, which means 20 years of growing. And it's, the perspective of a child growing up on the island and they the children loved it because they were wild and free they could do whatever they wanted there was no real rules school was only introduced later and they had all of this freedom in this beautiful wilderness so growing up was very different than actually being an adult on the island which is very interesting that makes sense but they um they also believed in reincarnation which i was really surprised at when i went to the island i didn't realize that they had this very strong belief in reincarnation so much so that when a child died and children obviously the mortality rate in infants was very very high when children died the next child of the same gender would be named the same name hmm. and they t- it took a really long time for them to understand like historians to understand why this was happening and it was because they believed that the next child was the reincarnation of the child that was lost which goes against kind of you know catholic teachings really so it just goes to show that while catholicism was technically on the island it wasn't really mm-hmm. uh, practiced or recognized in the same way and eventually after years and years of being on the island, people left the island in the 1950s. And the final straw was that there was a man in his 20s who contracted meningitis and they couldn't get a doctor out to the island because the sea was too bad. And Mm. he ended up dying needlessly and he could have been cured. They knew he could have been cured. They knew what meningitis was and they decided this is it. This is the end. We can't live on the island anymore. So everybody was integrated into the mainland. So it was like it's it's a really interesting place because it is this microcosm of, I guess, what some people see as the purest form of the Irish language, the purest form of Irish music that wasn't touched by the English language. There was various parts of the island, like the, the English came and introduced a school at one point, like I said, and people learned how to read and write in English. So it, it's kind of... One of those places, I mean, you know, obviously, Jake, I'm glad you're here to see it. But it's one of those places that anybody who is visiting Ireland definitely do, do come and see the Blasket Islands. It's a, it's just, it is just really, really wonderful. And they do tours on the island and stuff. It's great. And there's loads of cool wildlife like seals and stuff. Which brings me to the very important story that I'm about to tell you. All right. Do you have any questions or concerns before I start the story? 
I mean, I have my concerns, but I'm going to say them for later. Oh, now I'm scared. Now I'm worried. Just, 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 you know, just. Okay, I'll try. I'll try and keep it together. Um, so I spoke to you about the big island, which was Hawaii, right? The main island where people lived on, but there were also other islands around, and one of those islands is called Inishvikalane. And on Inishvikalane, there lived a single family, and there was ten people in this family. Now, this is not folklore. This is this is factual. They were called the Daly family. Factlore. They factlore exactly, and they were absolutely amazing musicians. They were completely gifted at music and they didn't know music in what we know now. So there was no musical notation that was written down. There was no like, these are the notes that you need to follow. They just sort of instinctively knew music. And this family uh, were really famous for also building their own instruments. So they would build instruments from bits of driftwood. Every so often they'd go to the mainland, get the bits that they needed and they'd make their own instruments. And the thing about this story that differs is who the protagonist actually is. Mm. But from what I could figure out, it's a man named Paddy Daly. And I figured that out from a comment on an article that said, this man was my great, great, great grandfather. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, that's as factual as we can get. Sure. So like I said, these family, this family were great musicians. They lived alone on Inishvika Lane, all 10 of them. And they obviously lived by the sea because that's that's what people did. They were fishermen. It was very important for them to be out on their boats all the time. And they all sailed in these little single man boats that were made from like a canvas that was stretched and treated and covered with tar. And obviously they were made buoyant and waterproof and they were kind of pretty specific to the area and they were very important because it meant that people didn't have to go out in fours and fives in these big boats out fishing, that individuals could go out fishing. It was very important. And Paddy Daly was out on the water on his own one day. And during that period of time, there had been a massive storm. Now, that's the other part of the story that changes, whether or not he was caught up in the storm or whether he came onto the water just after the Mm. storm. It's very likely that he wasn't caught up in the storm and he was on the water after the storm because I don't know how long you'd last in a small boat on the Atlantic in the middle of a storm. Yeah. So he's on the water and the fog rolls in. And this was a really intense fog bank, really, really intense. He couldn't see in front of him. But because he knew the water like the back of his hand, he wasn't concerned. He knew he was going to find his way home. So he just stayed fishing. But the problem arose in the silence. And in the silence, he heard this sound and it was the sound of singing. And it was a sound that he had never, ever heard before. And it really freaked him out because he couldn't figure out where it was coming from. He couldn't figure out what could be making the sound. And he realised that it was something really special. So he stopped fishing and he sat and he listened. And he listened to this beautiful song and he still couldn't understand how it could have been made naturally. So he presumed and he made the assumption the only thing that could be making this sound was the fairies. That the fairies had come out after the storm and they were singing across the water. So he made his way home And the minute he got into his house, he sat down and he played the piece of music and he played it on the fiddle and 
it became a really important piece of music in that part of the world. And the song is called Port Napuki, which roughly translates into the Song of the Spirits, but it's actually called The Fairy's Lament. Hmm. And the story goes, obviously, that he was out, he heard the fairies, he played the music, and the song is incredibly, incredibly beautiful, and it's it's moving, and it's got this really ethereal quality. It's beautiful. And it became a really important song in that part of the country and children, when they learn traditional music, even to this day, they still learn this song. And recently, a uh, a musician called, I think her name is Mwirin, Mwirinik Eilev, I think is her name. Um, her and her father sat down and they wrote down the lyrics to the song. And there's a really interesting thing with Irish traditional music in that Generally, the lyrics won't be written down and the, the notation wouldn't be written down. It would songs would be passed on to people who were thought to be deserving of the song. Mm-hmm. So you would go to a fair, you might hear a song and you'd say, oh, that's a really good song. Can you teach it to me? Somebody would teach it to them and then they'd they'd obviously pass the song on. And um, the rule with this song is that you can only sing the words if you believe the story of the fairies. That's the rule. And the words were given to this woman's father by one of the Daly families. So his name was Mursh O'Dalig, which is his name in Irish. And he passed the lyrics on. So there were lyrics to this song and the lyrics are all about a woman being stolen away by the fairies. So we're going to pause there. What are your thoughts so far? What do you think? Well, I love me a good music tale of any kind. As a musician myself, it's always fun to hear about song stuff. As a, a little disclaimer to listeners... I already knew you were going to tell the story because you told it on your show. And I thought, that's a really cool story. You should do it on our show. And you did. Uh, I do remember you asked that day. I hadn't listened to the episode yet. I had just seen the title and thought, oh, good. I finally get to know how to pronounce the name of the song. So you asked if I knew what the song was. And I said, yes. Then you were annoyed that I knew the whole story, which I didn't. And that I had already learned the premise, which you're about to get to. And then do you remember what you said to me after that? No, I don't. Don't bother listening to the episode. That's what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was that your attempt at an Irish accent? That was Actually, was I want to hear your attempt at an American accent. Uh, there you go. You got it. Perfect. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. Hang on. Give me something to say back to you. Uh, see, that's the hard part. Thinking of a specific key phrase to go with. Um, see, that's the hard part. It's, the, it's, the, it's your hard part. <laughs> thinking of something specific to say back to you. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm really bad at accents. I just can't do them. I'm awful. <laughs> but yeah, so far, very cool story. Uh, and I look forward to hearing the next part of it. And it does get even cooler, right? Because this German musicologist who was trying to understand the stories behind really famous, like, you know, hundreds of years old um, Irish music was looking into this particular song, this Port Napuki song, and he he realised that the story wasn't changing. And often with songs like this, the story changes depending on the locality. So, you know, people will pass the stories on, they become morphed into wherever they are being played at the time and the mm-hmm. story changes. So the story could be wildly different from one end of the country to the other. But this one seemed to stay the same. And he decided to travel to Dingle to try and understand what it was that happened and what was the actual story behind this and find the descendants of the Daly family 
and figure out what their what their understanding of the story was. And as he went along, he realized that actually the key to this story was the boat was the key to this story mm-hmm. because he realized that what Paddy Daly was hearing wasn't fairies, but it was whales. Mm-hmm. And they reckon that he had, you know, he was obviously, he was obviously sat fishing and humpback whales migrate past the Dingle Peninsula. So they, they passed the islands and they reckon that he was over a pod. Is it a pod of whales? Mm-hmm. So they reckon he was over a pod of whales that were singing to each other. And because of whatever the nature of the material that the boat was made of, it was acting almost like a speaker and the sound was reverberating through the boat. And and it was just this perfect moment caught in time and he was in the right place at the right time. And obviously, because of his superstitious background, he immediately believed it was fairies, but it wasn't. It was something much larger. It was whales. Very exciting. I wonder how often uh, whales would have, like, would they surface because they got to breathe? Would that have been something people would have been super aware of in the area? Would yeah. they have? Okay. Um, but I suppose. So they would, they would have been aware. Most definitely, they would have been aware of whales surfacing. So I, I don't. You may not know this, but I've got a bit of a thing about whales. It's like one of my life dreams to see a whale in the wild, in mm. real life, obviously in the wild, but in real life. <laughs> in your and living room. I went to, when I went to the Blasket Islands, part of the reason that I went was to see whales because it's the time of year for them there. And I missed them. When I was <sighs> not on the water, <laughs> I um, ran into somebody who was on her way out to the water because a family of humpback whales were passing through and they were not only breaching, but they were like jumping out of the water, doing all that stuff. And I, and I missed it. But so, yes, it would have been something that people were aware of. Whale song, however, may not have been as often heard. Makes sense. Like it's something you really only hear if you are underwater and there wouldn't. I, I would imagine if you're underwater in those particular seas, it's probably a, a bad thing is happening to you. So you're not really looking out for. Yeah, you're not going to be going for a casual dip in the Atlantic. No way. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a really cool confluence of factors to make that thing happen. And uh, and then it does make sense why the song Port Napuki is uh, partly why it's so difficult to read in sheet music is that it's it was not actually intended for sheet music in the first place based on the people who were making it into a song. And partly because the origin was a freaking whale who uh, don't care about Western music conventions very much. And those two things can together make it so that the sheet music for Port Napuki is kind of chaos, depending on where you look, uh, like what they decide, the time signature is and stuff. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's uh, like listening to it. It is a very strange song in terms of the mechanics of it. And I heard that story on a on a boat on the way back from the Blasket Islands that the tour guide was was telling us the story. And I just I was so fascinated by it. Because there is an like people accept the fact that it was whales, you know, and they're like, wow, isn't that amazing that mm-hmm. this song is whale song. But also in the modern day, the, the, the belief is you can't sing the words of the song unless you believe the mm-hmm. origin story, which is the origin story of the fairies. Gotcha. So we're still kind of there's okay. this real dichotomy <laughs> between the two beliefs that, that somehow people believe both simultaneously. It's very strange. The page I found that had what seemed like the most useful sheet music uh, anywhere else I looked also included um, at least a version of the lyrics in Irish. 
And so I will go went ahead and slap that into Google Translate. And I really like the last line as it uh, translates it is, uh, there is nothing in this world to call the cockroach. Direct translation, apt, accurate, yeah, 100%. And uh, that, I think, really speaks to us all. <laughs> from the whale to the cockroach, there is something we can all learn from this. <laughs> yes. But that's the important part of the show is learning some stuff and in particular bringing science to the to the uh, occasion. And I that's why I encourage you to do that story for this episode, because it's a perfect story for super duper stitches. So I really appreciate that. And let's be really clear. I'm not really a science kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love a spooky story, but sometimes we just overlook the fatal flaws in the story and just accept it as it is. But this one. I really loved the science part of it where somebody I would have loved to have been there for his light bulb moment when he went, oh, that's what this is. It's whales. That kind of like, yeah, the the sort of deep dive into what the hell is going on here is always really fun. I also loved the, the same kind of, I mean, a very different direction, but like uh, the journalist who decided to dig in and figure out what the hell is the deal with the chupacabra? Yeah. Why does everyone think, why is it different? And he got to the bottom, he found patient zero for who had come up with the idea of this thing and really got to the bottom of it. It's like, oh my God, that makes so much sense what that was. Really cool. Uh, It's always very satisfying to have everything just kind of click into place like that. Yeah, and it doesn't often happen. No, not at all. So cool that we have instance of that now and a beautiful song to go with that. Um, I think I'll do like you, maybe I'll do like you didn't have it playing under your segment, maybe. Or maybe I'll just have it at the end of the episode so folks can hear what it sounds like. It's a nice song. And uh, I'll, I'll send you a video later that I recorded last night. Hmm, that didn't sound... Of me playing the song. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I knew that, that but nobody else did. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> if I can pull it off, I'm going to try and put together a video recording for for listeners of, of the song on Ellen Pipes. No promises. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? No, that's it. That's my story. Great. Uh, I'd like to add that if you get the chance, um, come and visit Ireland. Yeah. Me and Jake are having a lovely time here. Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, come and visit, particularly the West Coast, anywhere along the West Coast. It is very beautiful and stories like that are ten a penny. Excellent. Now, I do have some stories to share with you myself, but as Wyatt would say if he were here, uh, first and for Phantoms most, I do need to thank our one and only sponsor for Phantoms Brewery in Western Massachusetts, a little further away from where we are right now in Western, Southwestern Ireland. Um, but it's a cool little brewery. Uh, it uses things like Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal and beer to make cool beer. If you live anywhere near there or can get there, it's worth visiting in Greenfield, Massachusetts. They got great stuff. They support us, which we love. Some cool upcoming stuff. If I release this the day it's supposed to come out, what day is today? Yes, if this episode comes out the day it's supposed to, Thursday, August 25th, uh, is Lady Splain Literary Reading. It's enjoying an evening of readings from five Western Mass writers, Noy Holland, Sarah Wisby, Vanessa Brewster, and others. Definitely worth checking out, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And then Saturday, there's a summer seafood boil, which is pretty neat. And then most importantly, coming up very soon, uh, September 2nd, is RPM Fest. They are the sponsors of RPM Fest this year. So if you want to know more about that, I'll link to it in the description, rpmfest.org. But it's going to be some music stuff and food and things like that. And it's neat and it's cool. Thank you, Four Phantoms. We love Four Phantoms around here. All four of them. All four. I, I particularly love three of them. The other one, yeah. it's a it's a, it's a bit dodgy territory, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. We got to live with it. <laughs> yes. Well, I have uh, 
some stories for you also from Ireland. Um, they're a little little different direction than yours uh, in terms of the kinds of wildlife involved. We're going onto land from the sea to talk about some stuff. Uh, I, first up, I have a short article from the publication Joe, which seems... Joe.ie? Yeah, it's the one. It seems like a really hard-hitting journalistic endeavor mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was written by Connor Hennigan about 10 years ago-ish. It begins thusly. It might sound like the plot of a bad horror movie, but a large beast thought to be a black panther is spreading fear amongst locals after numerous sightings in South Kilkenny. The mysterious creature, which has been given the moniker the Beast of Listerlin, has been the subject of increased sightings lately, despite claims from other locals for the, uh, that for years it has roamed the fields of the southern part of a county widely associated with cats, albeit in a completely different context. Uh, one man who caught a glimpse of the far-from-mythical creature, local hunter Ned Egan, told the star, quote, I had a good view. The animal appeared, running like the wind. It was the same size as a large Rottweiler, but it was definitely a cat, probably of the panther family. It was as fast as any racing greyhound, end quote. Disturbingly, rumors of the beast's presence is not the first report of large, unidentifiable, and almost certainly dangerous animals on the prowl in this country. Sightings of similar panther-like animals were also reported in Kilsheelan Tipperary in 2008 and in Letterkenny in Donegal three years ago. Little other specific details about the so-called beast have been reported, but they are thought to fit a description similar to what is described in the video below. And the video, of course, no longer exists. But uh, yeah, what we're talking about here is, of course, the old ABC's Alien Big Cats. Talk about these on Real Life Ghost Stories, Emma? I have never talked about them on Real Life Ghost Stories, I don't think, outside of the odd mention on a Patreon episode. But I love an, an ABC. I have, like, I do love them. And I... Because I kind of feel like, first of all, Kilkenny and Tipperary are both border counties of where I am right now. So give it a rest. Okay, I don't (laughs) want there to be a panther in my back garden when I wake up in the morning. I thought you were in Dingle right now with me. Oh, yeah, I am in Dingle right now with you, by the way. But I don't want my family (laughs) to wake up in the morning and have a uh, an ABC in their back garden. Um, That would be very stressful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a little dog. So, you know, we don't want anything to go wrong. ABCs interest me because I don't think I was fully aware of how many people actually keep exotic animals until I watched Tiger King. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not, which is not a great kind of benchmark for anything. But But the one thing it did do was make me go, oh, my God, people do this. They, they they want to have big cats. And I do think far more people have them than we realize. Probably, yeah. And for folks listening who are not as aware of ABCs as Emma and I are uh, alien big cats or anomalous big cats or cats that aren't the kind that we were expecting to see in the specific place, all those different names that are always applied to them, refer to large species of wild cats in regions where they are not otherwise expected. So many stories of these guys come from the UK, Um, But Ireland is not exempt either. So more often than not, the cats reported are big old panther type of things. This article from the Irish Post sums it up pretty well. It says, quote, in 2018, there were several sightings of a mountain lion in areas around Cork. These sightings were coupled with increased livestock killings and less foxes around the area, which I'm sure they mean fewer foxes, and led to the Cork Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals putting down traps and cameras near the places the big cat was spotted. They didn't catch anything. 
2017 in Nuri, there were more reports of big cat sightings. This one believed to be similar to the Jungle Book's Bagheera. The police service of Northern Ireland even posted a message urging people not to approach the animal, which they described as a large black cat, possibly a panther. They didn't find anything. Over a decade earlier, there was a black leopard seen stalking the countryside in County Leitrim. The occurrence reported by a man who had spent five years uh, photographing big wild cats in the African bush. The shame he didn't have his camera ready because he never got a snap of the leopard and it was never found. Another supposed sighting of a leopard-like creature was reported in, now I got it, is it Knockmeal Down Mountains in Munster? Yep, that's okay. it. Knockmeal Down, yep. Yep, all right. Uh, causing widespread fear and reports that Gardy had told hikers to exercise extreme caution. In a confusing twist, the Gardy then denied ever saying this, and the big cat was never seen again. 2003 brought terror to County Monaghan when locals were convinced there was a panther prowling around a housing estate. These sightings and several unexplained attacks on pets in the area provoked a massive Garda search using helicopters to locate the beast. This time, they did find something. A video captured by a farmer revealed a regular domestic black cat. Oh. So, but if you think all these sightings were random hallucinations suffered by people in uh, the same area at the one time, or believe that the Emerald Isle truly does hide dangerous big cats among its green fields, the mystery of Ireland's phantom beast is more of a puzzle than the myriad of UFO sightings throughout the years. And again, I'm sure they meant to omit the of because they surely know that myriad is an adjective. Here's to them on International Cat Day, whether the cats in question exist or not. I should mention that this article was uh, posted on International Cat Day in 2019. But yeah, lots of sightings of these cats. You ever seen one of these cats, Emma? I can't say that I have. And, you know, I have to admit, I kind of want to. It would be kind of exciting, right? I don't know. I am I am a cat person. I love cats. Mm-hmm. Would I kind of love to have two panthers on leads <laughs> when I was walking through town? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Is it cruel? Yeah. But would I look cool? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I have one more sighting for us, which is originally reported in the Sunday World. So I am, uh, of course, instead of going with what appeared on independent.ie the next day, August 16th, 2021. So very recently. And it begins in all capitals. A man who recorded what he believes was a panther-like creature running wild near his southeast home has said it was definitely not his neighbor's domestic cat setting of the Beast of Ullart Hill took place in County Wexford earlier this month and has caused excitement among the big cat sightings community over the past two weeks. We traveled to Ullart this week to meet local man Lar, who recorded the video of the animal from his back garden. He said he is certain the animal he saw was a big cat of some variety, but he didn't want his surname published as he says sightings like this can attract ridicule. Quote, I understand people not coming forward with these sightings because you just have the piss taken out of you. End quote. He said he saw the animal around 50 yards away in a field at the back of his house. It had a large tail and moved at incredible speed. Quote, the movement of it was just mad. It was so fast. It was actually frightening. I was watching it for what seemed like a minute or two, but it was probably only 30 seconds before I grabbed the phone, he said. But then it was at the bottom of the field. It was like it had just hovered across the field. If it was a dog or something like that, it wouldn't have moved like that. The animal then disappeared into the overgrowth near a local stream and hasn't been seen since. The video Lar took is blurry, which he knows adds to the skepticism. So now we can interrupt this article to go back to the Sunday World article, after all, for the video component of this story. Describe what you're seeing as you see it. Okay, so I'm seeing a very shaky video. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a dog on the ground. He's in his house. Um, there doesn't seem to be any real audio. He's now going outside into his garden. Mm-hmm. 
and he is pointing the camera at a field at the back of his house. I can't... I'm seeing a a blob moving around <laughs> the field, but it literally could be anything. It, it Like, it's moving very quickly. I will give him that. Yeah. But it doesn't look dissimilar to a sheepdog when they're herding <laughs> sheep or like it, that's the way it's moving. This video, I think it then zooms in on all four pixels that he captured. And it's a... Uh, it's a blob, all right. That's the thing that always frustrates me is that ugh, these videos are always seem to be shot on like a Nokia thirty three ten. I mean, they didn't even have a camera, <laughs> so that's impressive. Yeah, it's pretty. No, there's nothing. There's nothing to see. Like, there's nothing to see. <laughs> it is. It is pretty terrible uh, video quality. So he does say, "I was raging with the video quality when I was recording it. I was looking through my eyes rather than looking at the phone. The shake didn't help either." So he does kind of lampshade the fact okay. that the quality sucks. But this is. A story from last year. So, like, phones should be better than that at this point. I don't know. Yeah, no, they really should be. Yeah. Like, you should be able to zoom in enough for it to not be four pixels. Right. Uh, he said, I myself would be skept- a skeptical person with this kind of stuff. I do a small bit of shooting, and I'd know from looking across a couple of fields the size of a fox or a badger or whatever. Someone said to me they'd seen this. I'd be thinking in my head they're mistaking the size of the animal. But when I saw this, I knew. He shared the video with a Facebook group called Big Cat Sightings Ireland, and the members believed it was indeed a wild feline. People have said it might have been a black panther, but I was Googling different big cats the other night, and it seemed to me it was a black leopard. Uh, which, again, we just saw blobs. So I, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know how he could tell from that far away, mm-hmm. but sure. He seems to be an expert on seeing uh, animals from a couple fields away, so I mm-hmm. guess he, he would know. Jake, he's seen both foxes and badgers That's from right. far away, so he <laughs> is an expert. <laughs> yes. Uh, someone from Big Cat Sightings Ireland sent it on to someone who looked at it closely and they came back to me and said it was definitely a big cat, but he couldn't confirm from the video what exactly it was. So surely as someone who's in a group devoted to looking for big cats in Ireland, they looked at it and said, yeah, this is a big cat here in Ireland. Like they're going to make the conclusion that they have set out to make. But yeah, since he shared the video, a neighbor in alert said they believe the animal may have been their cat, which they posted a picture of into the Big Cat Sightings group. Uh, however, Lar told the Sunday World it was definitely not a domestic ca- uh, domestic cat. They said, "This is my cat. We live in Alert." They were convinced it was their cat. I've seen that cat around Alert, and definitely wasn't that cat. Lar uh, even offered to bring the cat owner over to the field to stage reconstruction, which he said would have shown the size difference between the two. So far, the owner hasn't taken him up on the offer because why would they? He also took a picture of his brother standing in the same spot the following day to show a size comparison, which, I mean, again, I'm sure his brother was like half a pixel, so who knows. Uh, Lars said there was a helicopter hovering over the field where he spotted the cat in the days surrounding the sighting. Uh, there was a small red private helicopter flying over the field the day before the sighting, the day of the sighting, and the day after. We are wondering if that was just coincidence or if it was someone looking for an escaped cat. He added, we went back over the next day and I brought the gun with me and the German Shepherd just in case. I wasn't taking any chances. People have said to me since that they wouldn't attack humans, but if this thing came at you, there's not a hope in hell. Even the rifle I have wouldn't have done much of a job on it. It was scary. He said he was also scared for his young son being in the back garden and added that there have been a lot of sheep killings in the area recently and wondered if there is any link. A lot of farmers have said foxes have been milling the sheep out of it recently, and uh, and after this, I've been thinking, is it foxes or is it this? He hopes anyone else who has seen the beast will come forward. Quote, I know what I saw, and it will be only a matter of time before someone else sees it. People might have already seen it, but have been too afraid to come forward. 
His setting is not the only one in Ireland over the recent years. We covered some in a minute, uh, briefly, a little bit while. Uh, we covered some briefly in the segment up until now. They kind of mentioned some of those now. And then it says, Kevin Cunningham, who runs the National Exotic Animal Sanctuary in Bolivar, County Meath, recently said that there were several people in Ireland keeping big cats. And that's where they leave it. So what do you think of all this, Emma? I don't really know what I think about it. Firstly, I think that really, as somebody who has neither spatial awareness nor depth perception, if I saw a big cat, like a big domestic cat at a distance, there is a strong possibility that I could think that was a panther. Totally. (laughs) You know, and I think we misjudge all the time how big things can be like up close, but also how big they can seem at a distance. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't think it's fair for anybody to just outright dismiss. It's definitely not a cat. It's definitely not. A, I mean, it's probably not a fox because the, the blob, the four pixels did look <laughs> like black four pixels. So I yeah. don't think it was a fox, but it could have been a big dog. It could have been a big domestic cat. And I don't know if saying, well, loads of people have seen them. Is it is evidence? I, you know, I don't. I don't think that would stand up in court in the big cat court. <laughs> uh, what is the biggest animal you've ever seen in Ireland, and or the biggest species you know of in Ireland? Oh, um, I mean, we've got some pretty big cattle. We've got some pretty big deer. Okay, uh, but we don't have anything like we don't have anything really big. We don't have any big predators. We've got foxes are probably our biggest predators. And then probably, very sadly, domestic dogs are probably our other big predators because that is unfortunately what happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really have big species of animal. I'm trying to think what's good. We used to have elk. Oh, yes. But we don't anymore. They're, very they special kind are, of elk. Yeah, we did. But they're all um, extinct now. And other than that, I don't think we have anything very big or exciting. Okay. Yeah, I just wonder... Obviously, anytime... sorry, I'd say that, but obviously apart from panthers. Right, right. Because we obviously, <laughs> we clearly have panthers. <laughs> but like, as we were saying, I think seeing stuff from a distance, it's very easy to misjudge scale of things. And uh, with the sheer number of reports, uh, even the ones that aren't like debunked by house cats, people get all primed to think like, from hearing other people say, oh, like people have been seeing these things all around here. Maybe I'm seeing one right now. And so I think it's a lot of just kind of echo chamber effect. If there's a whole Facebook group devoted to big cat sightings and then you send stuff to them and say, oh, yeah, that's a big cat sighting. Like, oh, I saw a big, it just, it just snowballs. I also wonder as well at why these stories, these big cat stories are included under the same umbrella as the paranormal, you know? Mm-hmm. Why do people get so invested in them? Like there's, I have this book that I was like obsessed with when I was a kid that's all about like paranormal stories of Ireland. And there's a whole chapter in it dedicated to ABCs, so alien big cats. And I always wondered, I always found it quite boring because even in my child brain, I was like, I mean, if it's a big, if you see a big cat, it's probably because somebody had a big cat in the area. Like whether or not it's illegally owned an exotic animal or it's just a big domestic cat. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything more exciting than that. I know there's some like, crazy wacky theories about big cats and actual ufo sightings right (laughs) but listen that's a whole other world to go into but i just don't see the fascination with it and even as a cat lover who would love to have two panthers on a on leads and walk around (laughs) town looking really cool i don't see the fascination with it it is very different in how compelling it is compared to some kind of supernatural creature or some weird thing your doraku or whatever it might be like there's more there's cooler stuff to get excited about and think might be out there. But maybe, I mean, part of the 
compellingness of it might be the fact that it is more plausible and less yeah. far-fetched. Maybe that's why it gets so exciting. I don't know. And there's also an elusiveness to it as well. Yes. I mean, even in nature, big cats are generally, except for lions, you know, big cats are generally quite elusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they generally don't laze around where you can see them. Like they will be hidden away and people, wildlife photographers and whatever, have spent years trying to capture things like slow leopards as in photograph capture them mm-hmm. and it takes a really long time to even get a glimpse of these animals so the elusiveness might also be a point of interest where people feel this sense of like I have seen this really elusive creature yes. and that's kind of that's quite fancy you know how many yeah you've seen some aliens but have you seen a panther <laughs> on your back door in <laughs> Wexford because I have <laughs> Uh, WildIreland.org also has a, a nice little write-up about another possibility that's kind of fun, at least for non-black cat sightings. Um, they say, the original Celtic tiger, the Eurasian lynx, is a large cat that once roamed Ireland. They go into more details about the lynx itself and, and uh, how for a while it was not thought to have ever actually made it to the island. But then in 1934, a mandible of a young lynx turned up amongst the other animal moraines excavated in a cave in uh, County Waterford. And um, so they confirmed that the lynx did used to be native to Ireland. So people have thought, oh, could it be like a, a living fossil kind of thing? Maybe it didn't go extinct after all. Eh, not really, no. I mean, it, the species still exists all around, um, but like just there aren't any in Ireland. Lynx survived in Ireland until Roman times, and then they're, um, they're probably wiped out. Then There's no record of them since then. They're very secretive, so like I said, elusive and stuff. Be hard to find if they were around. Uh, lynx have now returned to our County Donegal Forest for the first time in thousands of years. That's how they conclude the article. So there's at least one big cat in Ireland. The catch, well, first of all, they're not huge. I don't know if you've seen a lynx before. They're pretty good yeah, size. they're not huge. But they're not gigantic. I mean, they're bigger than your most cats. Like, it's it's like a medium-sized dog. It's a pretty good-sized cat, but it's not like, you know, panther-sized. Uh, but the other catch is that the lynx in question are specifically in Donegal Wildlife Park. Mm. So not just out and about in the wild. They just have been reintroduced to this one nature reserve area. They're not actually all around. However, uh, one last thing I'll link to if you want to read and they're interested. The Irish Times has an article covering this in detail. The lynx might end up being reintroduced to Ireland and Great Britain to try and combat invasive cicadier. Uh, or cicadier? How do you say that? What is the deer? I think it's cicadier, yeah. Cicadier, okay. Um, so because the, it's, they're causing real problems with vegetation and they don't have any natural predators. So they're yes. just overpopulating and kind of pretty much running amok, basically. So because the Eurasian lynx was a native predator in these areas, they're looking to maybe reintroduce them um, since they're probably driven out by humans. Like maybe humans could bring them back and maybe that would help bring balance to the ecosystem. So they're still toying with the idea, looking into the research of how that could work before doing it. But that is uh, still uh, something kind of out there as a possibility. You might get some big cats. Oh, I'd be kind of I'd be kind of into it if they did bring back some links yeah they're cool yeah they are cool and i understand like it's it's hard we've we've tampered with the you know natural species that exist in you know england and ireland and scotland and wales and northern ireland for so long that actually now it's only now that we're going oh shit Mm -hmm. like actually (laughs) they did serve a really good purpose and maybe we need to bring them back so you know there's because there's always these conversations about whether or not um, wolves would be reintroduced. It's always wolves and people get really panicky because I think they think there's got to be packs of wolves <laughs> roaming the streets like gangs. <laughs> but it is a, a, a conversation that happens quite frequently, not so much in Ireland, but particularly in the UK. And it's happening a lot here too because wolves also were all over the place in North America and then were largely eradicated by people 
uh, when Europeans came over and then now we're like, oh, fuck, that that's made a lot of problems. Like now the deer are going crazy and then, then they're fucking up all the vegetation and then that's making rivers yeah. fall apart. Like it's just there's a whole cascading effect. There's a reason why, uh, you know, stuff works a long time. And that's just kind of the European way, isn't it? Just like, oh, well, this stuff seems neat. Let's change all of it. Yeah, this stuff mildly inconveniences me. Let's kill it. <laughs> I highly <laughs> recommend listening to, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of The Dollop. It's a, an American history podcast. Yes, like, yeah. yeah, great. Uh, have you heard of the episode about squirrels, the war on squirrels? No. Very worth a listen. It's just about Europeans coming over here and just obsessing over eradicating squirrels and just failing so miserably. The squirrels having no idea they're even a side of a war at all. And nonetheless winning, and it's it's fascinating how the, the lengths people went to to try and get rid of squirrels. Oh, I will have a listen, because I have a particular soft spot for squirrels. I like them an awful lot. <laughs> Good old squirrels. But yeah, that, that's all I got for you today. I got some, some cat stuff. I know you're a cat person. I thought you might like to hear about some Irish cat stuff. And uh, and yeah, there's hope for some, some wild cats in Ireland yet. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I have always been fascinated with more so the fascination with ABCs mm-hmm. rather than being fascinated with ABCs themselves. I think that's why I've never done it on the podcast because it's a pretty obvious topic for me, for someone who loves a loves a cat, big or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the fascination with ABCs, I just think it's really, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to infiltrate the Facebook group. Oh yes, do it. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Report back later on how that goes. I'd, be, I'd like to know some updates on, on the espionage. I will. Well, that leaves just one last segment for the episode. Now, I think I mentioned up top, Wyatt had with him the NCAA, the um, the device we use for our Patreon patron thanking and stuff. Uh, it did reappear without him last week, but it is all also zipped back up. I mean, you've probably noticed this pulsating duffel bag next to us this whole time. Yeah, to be honest, I, I try to ignore it, but it, it's getting to a point where I was, I, was, I was asking questions internally, you know. Well, I'm happy to answer those now. Let me just unzip this. I forgot how many zippers are on this bag. Wyatt put so many zippers on it. And the fact that it zipped back up is a good sign. It means that Wyatt was able to put it in the bag before it got back here. So I think he's doing okay in his own way. Let me get the last three or four zippers here. Okay, there's the first bag. Let me open up the second bag. Okay, there's some zippers on this one too. All right, that one's out. So this device, it's an arcane computer that we use a specific function on called the Pander function, the Patron Appreciation Neural Dive for Evaluation of Risk, uh, which we basically just hook up to our brains and then it lets us uh, connect to the dark ether and calculate the creature, cryptid, monster, whatever it is, each and every one of our Patreon patrons individually needs to be on the lookout for. It's our way of uh, thanking you for helping us make this show. And Emma, since you're here with me, I wondered if you might be interested in helping me thank those patrons. First of all, the pulsating is really disconcerting. You know, you just got to go with it. it. It didn't used to do this. It has definitely become more organic over time. And uh, we don't ask questions because it doesn't want us to. But um, yeah, you just all you got to do is just take this tendril uh, cord thing. It'll plug right into the back of your head. No problem. It, it's very seamless. Do I need to like, is, is there no disclaimer, like waiver, like some sort of, is there something I need to sign to do this? This feels really unsafe. To be honest, I would avoid bringing any kind of paperwork into the situation at this point. Things could get pretty fausty and pretty fast. So yeah, but it's all right. It's very simple. We just turn it on and just stick these cables into the backs of our skulls. No problem. There, they plug in so easy, see? No, that feels awful! Well, you just, you have to, you can't fight it, Emmy. You gotta just let it happen, and then it just, see, it's, it's fine. All we have to do now is focus on 
Hannah, Hannah R. of Appleton, Appleton Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So, Hannah, be on the lookout for... Serpapard. <laughs> Serpapard <laughs> is a, a term applied by some modern researchers who are described as a long-necked mythical animal known from ancient Egyptian and Mesopotamian depictions. It is an animal whose depictions have been found on ancient Egyptian artifacts. Images of this creature have been painted on the Narmer palette and the small palette of Nekin. The serpopard is a cross between a leopard and a serpent, of course. Go bearing figure. the body of a leopard and the head of a snake on its <laughs> long neck. So they can stand about three feet tall at the shoulders. Pretty good size. Uh, when their necks are fully extended, they can measure up to 20 feet long from nose to tail. And I'm sure when they do that, they still balance just fine on their feet. Absolutely, yeah. They can weigh anywhere from 150 to 200 pounds. Uh, so they're a good size animal. Um, basically, if you find yourself in ancient Egypt or Mesopotamia, you should look out for these guys. That's probably the instance when you're most going to run into them. I think just avoid uh, 3500 to 3000 BC in uh, yeah, Mesopotamia. Yeah, stay, I think generally stay away from 3500 to 3000 BC, to be honest. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there that, you know, probably isn't good. So I, right. I'd stay away in general. Yes. And, uh, and thank you very much, Hannah, for supporting the Patreon. Next, we're going to focus on Aaron, Aaron D. D. of Bay City, Michigan. Aaron, you need to watch out for... <laughs> Big Bird. And I think we can just leave it at that. Watch out for Big Bird. I mean, you can't trust that guy. The end. Uh, and thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. And if you too listening right now would like to join our Patreon as well, you can do so for the low price of just $5 a month. And for that, you will get access to bonus outtakes every month of all of the previous episodes of the prior month. You will get bonus weekly mini-sodes whenever Wyatt is corporeal enough to record them. You also get, very importantly, your name entered into the Pander algorithm to have your cryptid or creature or a Muppet calculated by the machine for your safety out there in the world. You also become part of our Discord community. You get all that just for five bucks. It's a great deal. Above and beyond that, we have higher tiers where you also get stickers and other cool things, merch, discounts. It's a great place. You should check it out. And if you're one of our first 100 patrons, you get a Belgian beer glass with our logo on it. Tulip-style glass. Super cool. Mailed directly to you from me. You gotta do it. As a current Patreon subscriber of Super Superstitious, I can recommend it. It is well worth the subscription. Get lots of content. It's great. I love it. Definitely sign up to the Patreon. Well, thank you very much. A great endorsement. So I think we can go ahead and just unplug these now from our heads. Oh, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to take it out. It's It's freaking me out. It's better. You just got to just, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. Just pull it on out. There you go. Oh, God. What, how do you do this every week? No wonder why it disappeared. Do you know why he disappeared? Because he was like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I'm, uh, uh, that was awful. Uh. Do you know what that felt like? You know the feeling when you go over a bridge in your car and you get that swoop in your stomach? No. That horrible feeling of like G-force in your stomach. That's what that felt like, but in my neck. I'm never doing this again. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Emma. Really appreciate <laughs> having you here. It was a great time being here in Ireland. Great to have you on the show again. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to uh, 
Maybe uh, doing another collab of some kind, for sure. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, feel free to rate and review the show on stuff. It's cool. Tell other people about it as well. Emma, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me at uh, Real Life Ghost Stories. So search it on Instagram. Search it on anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Uh, the website is reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. That's where you can find me. And you should find her because it's great. Very fun times. Uh, and yeah, so I guess... Next time, listen in for the conclusion of August around the world. Uh, hopefully with Wyatt. Not really in August. And we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Join us next time. Bye. You can say bye too if you want. Bye. <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs>